0: It was so great to see people yesterday living love and uh, going out in the community. All those touches that we made with people—random acts, intentional acts of kindness, as we like to call them—so uh, many creative ways that that were done. From you know blessing kids and pe- in the hospital with coloring books and crayons to giveaways to just uh, um, delivering cookies—all kinds of creative ways and. And I had fun with our family. We we just kind of did the uh, uh, you know otter pops, those frozen otter pops, and we just found people in the park randomly, walked up to them, and and uh, gave them some. And and we were driving through Santan Heights, and one of the fun things was we were, I was in the van with my wife and our four kids, and and all of a sudden we saw uh, we saw a man walking with uh, a stroller pushing his two kids, and his wife was a little further behind with a daughter uh, on a bike. And, and we're going like, hey, let's just, let's just catch these guys. Let's see if they want some otter pops. And so we pulled up on the side of the road, right, and popped the van door open. It was kind of intimidating. But, you know, we talk about ambushing people with love. And, uh, out my wife popped with, uh, you know, some, some otter pops and our kids. And, and, uh, and anyway, we're just able to bless some people walking on a hot day with a simple little act like that. And it's just fun. It's fun to put a smile on someone's face. And, and as we were leaving, the man said, is this what, do you and your family do for kicks on a Saturday? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I mean, it is kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. And, you know, what's good is it, it doesn't take a special day to have to do these kinds of things. And and reminding our kids, um, this is something we want to do all the time. And, and I know I need reminders of that, and it's easy for me to focus on my life and what I'm all about, and I forget about the people around me. And so we can do those things in different ways every day. And so you don't have to wait for that day. Go and do something kind for somebody in another setting and uh, just watch what happens and the smile that's put on their face. And, and what I love is I feel like we're training us here at One Community Church to be people who look for opportunities to live out that love. And I was affirmed in that when uh, yesterday, after we posted about, you know, having our Live Love Day on, on Facebook, I got a message, or actually got a text message from one of our former uh, students here that is now at Anderson University in Indiana. She's a freshman there, Tandra. And uh, she texted me back, and, and she said, hey, I know you guys were living love, and today I surprised uh, some, some girls down the hallway in a dorm. They, they were in need of a microwave, and, and I, I don't know if she had an extra one or if she bought one or what she did, but she said, so I heard about that, and so I put the microwave in front of their door anonymously and just wanted to bless them with that microwave, and, and she said she's been looking down the hall to kind of see what their reaction is, but she didn't want them to know it was them. So hopefully they won't hear this podcast. They didn't, she didn't want them to know it was her. So hopefully they won't listen to this podcast. But she said, "You know, I just wanted to live love today." And uh, and, and I told my wife Shannon, I said, "It's really cool to see that when we impart sort of things into the culture of who we are as a church, into our students, into your kids, that then when there's not an actual live love day, it just becomes a part of who they are and what they're living out." And so isn't that cool? So Tandra, if she's listening, give her a hand, round of applause. <laughs> it's just fun to see how that how that forms. Well. Speaking of parenting, kind of, you like that segue? That was a good segue. No, we're talking about like preparing our kids for the future and, and how we put, impart sort of things into them. We are talking about a series right now. We're in a series called God's Parenting Playbook. God's Parenting Playbook. How many of you have had parents before? All right, good. I, gl- I love when a message series hits everyone in the room. Um, We started last week with this idea that we're not just going to talk about good parenting principles, you can get those in a lot of different places, but we feel like the best parenting practices come from our Heavenly Father. He calls Himself and wants us to call Him Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, and we are His children, we are His family. And so we want to look at how does God parent us? How does He bring us from immaturity to maturity? How does He grow character in us? How does He grow faith in us? And from that, we'll also learn how we can now apply those same principles to our children and to our families and to the people around us. And so even if you don't have kids or aren't in a stage of life where that is maybe pertinent to you, you probably are around kids and can apply some of this stuff, but you'll also learn how our Heavenly Father grows us and how we can understand Him and His role in our lives. So we began last week with this idea that um, we must begin with the end in mind. That when it comes to parenting, we can get so caught up in the mundane and the everyday that it just feels futile sometimes. It feels like we're not making any progress. We need to know what it is that we are building for. What are we aiming for? And God looks at us and he says, we are his masterpiece. And he pictures in us the kind of people that he's created us to be and the kind of people that he wants us to become. And so he moves us along and he wants to develop faith and he wants to develop character in us so that no matter what comes in our life, we can face that. And we have to go through trials, and we have to go through challenges and discipline, but steadily and intentionally, he builds us and grows us to become the kind of people that we were meant to be. And so as parents, that's what we see for our children. We want to be intentional in the daily, in the activities that we do, in the way that we parent, to help them become the kind of human beings, the kind of adults, the kind of people that God has intended for them to become. And what we talked about is that you know, they're, they are looking to us as their example, that we need to model for them, not just talk about it. Remember, more is caught than taught, that we need to become a picture for them of, of the kind of adults that we want them to become. And so the work of parenting first begins with us. We need to look at our own faith, our own character, and let God continue to develop us so that they can grow and move towards what we are. And some of you might go, man, there's, I don't want my kids. <laughs> I want more for them than what I've become will continue to develop and continue to develop that character in yourself and let God transform you in that way. So we begin with the end in mind. We grow towards that. Jesus Christ gave us an example that we ought to be, to grow towards. We need to be that example for our children. But today I want to talk about now the specifics. What are what are those pieces that begin to grow children and prepare them for a life of being out of our home and living fully dependent on God? And one of the things I want to talk about is this tension that we face in our homes between love and limits this tension between love and limits now we all want you know when we when we bring a kid home from from the hospital right we get a, we have a baby and you bring bring him or her home and and there's just this this bonding that begins to happen and you want to create this this loving environment and you do that and 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 you form this 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 loving relationship and you think man this is this child is close to my heart and and they're so sweet And they're so loving, and they're so, you know, so cute. And and then there comes that day. Then there comes that day where you have to say no. That first no. That first stop. And all of a sudden the relationship dynamic changes, and all of a sudden that little angel that you always had, and you put up with the pooping, and you put up with the, you know, throw-ups, and because they're innocent and they're little. But that first time you say no, you know what you've just done? You've set a limit, haven't you? That first no communicates something to that child. You are doing something that is not okay. It's either not, most likely it's not safe for you, it's not good for you, it's not beneficial for you, and so you as a parent, you, you call out and go, no, don't put that marble in your mouth. From a child's perspective, this marble is yummy. It's smooth, it feels nice, you know, on my cheeks, and I wonder what it tastes like, and it feels so, you know, like so innocent for them. But we know this is dangerous, and so we say, no, or they're crawling towards the outlet, right, with a fork in hand or something. I don't know why they have a fork, but if they do, or a knife, right, they want to stick that, that paper clip in the outlet, you go, no! Or they do, you know, and, and and usually the no begins once they start getting a little more mobile, right, when they start crawling or rolling, because all of a sudden now, their world has expanded beyond you. And now you can't just control everything because you're holding them, and so you begin as a parent naturally to create a limit. But you feel that tension as a parent because here's the thing. The kid always does what? It always pushes past the limit. And so now you have this tension between, I love this kid, but I have to say something harsh here. I've told you no three times. No, no. And you have to go up and you maybe have to do what? You've got to give him a swat on that hand. Do not put your hand in that. You need to associate some pain with that. But as a parent, you might get that first sense if you've never had that. Like, oh, I have to discipline my kid. I had to kind of break that, just that loving bond. And and you see something in your kid and you go, they're evil. <laughs> I mean, okay, maybe not evil, but you start seeing something. You go, how can my sweet, innocent child disobey me? How can my sweet, innocent child do something that would be harmful? Or, or I said no, I told them they can't do that and they did it anyway. And you feel maybe a little bit of a break of that relationship. So if you ever have a question and wonder, are we born into sin, like is sometimes you know is taught in Scripture and we talk in the church like that, that we are born with a sinful nature? You just have to look at children. Do you spend more time teaching your kids to be good or teaching them to be bad? Do you have to teach your children to be bad? Seems to come pretty natural to them, doesn't it? Okay, there's the end of the argument. That's theology one oh one right there, right? So we spend time teaching them to be good because naturally they're going to push boundaries and all these kinds of things. So immediately, early on, even at a young age with a young child, we begin to feel that tension between love and limits, and it seems to pull at the heartstrings of our parenting. If I say no, what happens? The thing is, kids in and of themselves, if you just leave them to themselves, they're out of control. Have you ever just left a room with children and just don't ever go back in there? Do you walk into them all sitting nicely and playing and, you know, usually it's like the volume level goes up, the chaos goes up, the mess in the room goes up. If kids are left to themselves, they will live without boundaries, without limits. They will eat Lucky Charms for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they're not going to eat the little, like, you know, cereal part. They're only going to eat the marshmallows, right? They're kids, and they would do that. Without limits, they would just continue to push. Would they ever do schoolwork? If the teacher didn't have any consequences, if there weren't any rewards, would they do schoolwork? Would they ever turn the TV off? Would they play video games till all hours in the morning? How late would they stay up until they keeled over, right? I mean, that's the nature of kids, and they want to do whatever they want, however they want. They'd, they would dress like you wouldn't approve. They'd never practice piano. They'd never go to bed on time. They'd stay out as late as they want. Boys, if left alone, would just destroy everything. And so what we need to begin to teach them is you can't always do as you want. Because remember, we're preparing them to be fully functioning adults. Now here's the problem. There's many adults who want to do whatever they want. Right? Don't we all want to do that? We want to do whatever we want, and we think we can do whatever we want. But what happens if we live in a world where we think we're so independent and adulthood means you can do whatever you want? Does it mean that? Don't you remember as a teenager? That's what you thought adulthood was, right? Man, when I'm 18... I can do whatever I want. Is that true? (laughs) You can. I mean, at some level, you can do whatever you want. But what's the reality if you do whatever you want? Try showing up at work whenever you want. Take days off whenever you want. Don't tell your boss. Extend that vacation for a few days. Who cares? Don't turn in your homework. Don't show up at practice. Ah, don't pay your mortgage this month. You don't want to do that. I don't feel like paying my electricity bill. Like, we can't do whatever we want. There is pain and frustration. There are things involved with that. And so as parents, we need to start teaching our children that, that there are limits and there's authority that you live under. And so we want to begin to, to help you understand that now. Now, in this regard, this, this tension of love and limits, parents tend to fall somewhere along this spectrum. And it's two words we hear a lot described with parents, either strict or lenient. Right? And and can be anywhere in between. Lenient parents. As a kid, do you want lenient parents? Yeah! Oh, my parents let me do whatever I want. Right? That's If you had a friend, like, my parents weren't like that, but if I had friends who said that, I was like, your parents are so cool. do let you do whatever you want? Alright? I don't have to do chores. I can play with whatever toys. I don't, you know, I can stay out as late as I want. My parents don't really care about my grades. Man, your parents are so cool. They're so lenient. Right? And sometimes maybe some of us as parents, we don't that far but we feel like you know what i want my kids to just kind of learn on their own and i just you know i'm just more i'm a lenient parent I'm, I'm kind of a pushover i'm easy lenient parents on the other end of the spectrum strict parents right <laughs> as a strict parent do you as a kid want a strict parent no <laughs> maybe you say things as a kid like man i can't even breathe without asking permission this is like a dictatorship at home. It's like military style, right? We have rules for everything. There's a firm schedule. Man, there's a little grace. It's mom and dad's way or the highway, and taken to the extreme, it's oppressive. If you grow up in a home like that, it's like you're walking on eggshells. Maybe there's a fear of your parents, and 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 you just don't even know. Can I, if I do this, am I going to get slapped? Is this wrong? And man, a thousand rules I got to keep in my head. Those are kind of the extremes, and it has to do with with. With parents wrestling between this tension of love and limits. Now what's the motivation between these two? See, lenient parents tend to be motivated by this. They're parents who want their kids to like them. Lenient parents typically are motivated, I want my kids to like me, and and if I have to set a limit or do something, they're not going to like me. it's It's actually about the parents' fear of that losing that relationship and that love. And so they lean on the side of leniency. What's the motivation for strict parents? Strict parents want to like their kids. (laughs) They want to like their kids. And the way I'm going to like my kids is that they're going to behave and do exactly everything that I like and want a kid to do. And so if they do all those things, I'm going to like them. And so I'm going to just have all these, these boundaries in this very tight box and they will become and do and be this person that I want them to be. Also a bad motivation But those are some of the things that we're dealing with. And so there's this tension. Well, what is it? You know, it's easy to say, well, there should be a balance. Well, yes, there should be a balance. But what is what is it? And how do we understand that relationship between love and limits? And so what we've talked about in this whole series, like I said, is we're going to look at how does God balance love and limits with us. And if we begin to see how he kind of, you know, blends those two together, we're going to learn about what that looks like. For our family, so before we open the Word of God and find the answers for that, let's uh, let's have a word of prayer and ask God to really open our hearts for this message. Heavenly Father, thank you for Your Word. It is truth. It is our guide for living. It reveals You and Your character. And God, it is our story. Help us to find ourselves in it and to find life in it. And as we turn to Your Word for guidance today, God, would Your Spirit just speak into our spirit this morning? Help us to be better parents, to be better children to be better followers of you, God, that just uh, know what it means to experience your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at the first time that God, our Heavenly Father, brought home a few children into his world. Genesis chapter 2. Alright? So turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple passages in there, and if it's too dark for you to see, I apologize. I'll read to you um, some of these pieces. But in the book of Genesis, which means the beginning, God created the world, right? And he created this amazing place, and, and you know, it was teeming with life and water and sunlight and trees and animals and this beautiful place. And in this place, he created a very special place called the Garden of Eden. And into this environment, this idyllic environment... God created man, and eventually then he created woman. And in this environment, he brings the first two people born into this environment as adults. And so let me just read to you two verses here out of Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Genesis chapter 2, 8 and 9. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had created. And the Lord God planted all sorts of trees in the garden, beautiful trees that produced delicious fruit, at the center of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It talks about the rivers that were flowing through there. And it talks about God communing with Adam and Eve and talking with them in the dew and the mist of the morning. And you see this, this beautiful environment, this beautiful uh, place that was created, and this great relationship that was starting to form between God and his creation, between God and Adam and Eve. And so as we begin this discussion of love and limits and this tension, let's start with love. Because we can't talk about setting limits and boundaries um, around our children and what is good for them if we don't start with the foundation of love, because that's where it begins. And here we see God creating this environment, basically a loving environment, where Adam and Eve have everything they could possibly want. They have this richness of relationship. And so when we think about what does that look like for us, I mean, it's not hard to see when parents bring home a child for the first time. What happens in those weeks and months prior to the delivery of that that baby? The nesting sets in, right? And what does nesting look like for those moms or dads? Or it's we got to get everything ready. You spend time, at least for your first t- child, you do. <laughs> Maybe your second, but the third one, you're like, I don't know, throw them in the guest room. That's fine. Um, but sorry, uh, third and fourth children. Anyone here that's like a you know last born child in your family? Yeah, middle children, I know. Um, but, but at least for the first one or two, you know, you get the room ready and you paint everything just the right color. You get the crib that's, the you know, just perfect and has the right soft blankets, right? You cover all the outlets, you know, for when they're a little older that they don't, you know, stick something in there like we talked about earlier. And, and maybe you even get, you know, like little thing that can play music and, you know, just the right color lights so you have this nice little environment at night that you can sit in there. And almost everyone, how many of you have had one of these, like, gliders? The gliders, you know, with like the with the foot rest and it glides. Let me see how many of you. That just seems like one of those things that every parent feels like, i got to get a glider, you know, or a rocking chair. There's something about that, right? And so you want to create just this beautiful, warm space. And then the baby's born and you bring them home into this, this place of just protection, of safety. It's like their little Garden of Eden, right? Everything's provided for them. It's a great space. You're there protecting, providing, loving, caring. And really, this is important. Because it's about creating this bond. It's about creating this connection. And so it doesn't just mean like we create it in the beginning, but we've got to continue to create the kind of environment that allows all these love and limits and rules to take place in. And so we really need to create that loving relationship with our children like God our Heavenly Father does with us. And I want to give you three quick T's that go through. The letter T, three quick T's about things that help us create a loving environment even as our children continue to grow um, through all the different stages of life that they're in. The first is this loving touch. You've got to be physical in proximity and connection, obviously appropriately with your children. Hug and love and give them those kisses. Sit close. Man, wrestle with them. Get on the floor. Interact. That loving touch is so important. This last week, our my one daughter, Annika, she's five. She just came up and just, I think, you know, in a bigger family, sometimes they can get lost in the crowd, the kids, right? And she just came up and she just said, Daddy, will you just hold me? <laughs> and it just reminded me, I mean, she's hungry for touch. And it was one of those, like, of course. And I just held her and she just put her arm, you know, her head on my shoulder and just kind of like melted into that and just needed touch. And it's a reminder, children need to have touch. They're not robots. They're not just taking rules and instruction and get from here to there time and touch together in that way and here's the thing i read this recently and i've been trying to put it into practices when you hug someone and especially like when you think about your kids hug until they let go you know sometimes we go up we give them a hug that's great go to bed now what happens there we go what happens if you just hug them and you won't let go until you feel them kind of go all right dad back off Or you're done. But there's something like, let them fill that tank up. And maybe, you know, try that with your spouse. Try that with a loved one. Just hug until they let go. You don't be the one that stops. And fill that tank with touch. So that creates part of that loving environment. Undistracted time. Time. I mean, these are obvious things that we've heard before that we know. I mean, it was great. I remember seeing a mom and daughter going to Starbucks while I was working from there. And I thought, how cool, mom and daughter going on a Starbucks date. They ordered their drinks, but you know what happened? They sat down in these comfy chairs that would be great for conversation. Mom pulls out her iPad. <laughs> Daughter pulled out her smartphone. And there they sat, headphones in, for like 30 minutes. I mean, I don't know if there was one interruption where they said something to each other and they kept going and they both finished their drinks. And after a little while, they both got up and left. And I thought, now there was some quality time <laughs> spent together. And I think this is a challenge. You know, my wife and I have this conversation a lot. She's like, Mark, turn off the smartphone. You know, when you're with your kids in those two hours after dinner, like, look at it later, like, focus in on the kids. Put the work aside, the contacts aside, and it's a, it's a reminder that, that I think we all need is it has got to be focused time. You're looking them in the eye, not one eye on your screen, one eye on the kids. That's not quality time. Get out, ride a bike, talk to them, go to their sport, sports events. You know what was so interesting like yesterday, too? Um, my oldest daughter just said, you know, it kind of had nothing going on in the afternoon, which was kind of nice on a Saturday. And she said, uh, she just said, Dad, um, you want to come up to my room? I want to show you. You want to play with my Legos? And it was like, sure, okay, you know. So I did some other stuff. And she's like, Dad, I'm waiting for you. I'm like, so, okay, I came up there. And I just sat down, and she showed me this entire Lego world that she has built with intricate detail telling me about like every little part of here. This is like a little restaurant that I built. And here's this girl's room. And here's like a, like a, you know, a veterinary clinic. And here's this. And she's telling me about every little last detail. And what reminded me was like, man, I don't do enough to enter. That was her world. And she lives in that world, and she creates in that world, and it's such an expression for her. And I thought, man, I didn't take the time, and she's been building this for a long time, I've never taken the time to just sit down and let her just, in her own time, explain to me everything. And it, and I just remember coming down the stairs, and I told my wife, I said, I think I just filled my daughter's tank. you know. And it's not, I'm not saying this because I'm like so great at this or doing this, it was a reminder I don't do this enough. And how valuable that is to create that 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 relationship. And you can just see it when the way they respond after you've just poured into them a little bit in that undistracted time. The third T is talk. Encouraging talk.
1: Do you ever wonder if you carried
0: a, a recorder around with you and everything you said at home as a parent was played back to you during the day? Oh gosh, man, I would be so embarrassed about that. You guys would go, that's our pastor. You know, sometimes I go and I hear myself and I'm thinking, man, like... I just feel like I'm a drill sergeant sometimes. Like, here's this rule, and you're not doing this, and how come you haven't picked this up? And and it's so easy to get into this mode of only talking when things go wrong. Right? We need to find time to talk and encourage when things are going right, to notice the good things, to speak truth and to speak character into them. And 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 sometimes what what I try to do is when we put them to bed is not just to you know kind of give a hug and and, and whatever our bedtime routine is and. And try to remember in that day, what was something positive that you saw them do? You know, Annika, I thought it was so great when you just voluntarily shared, you know, your dessert with your sister who didn't get any. (laughs) That you, you know, or that you, whatever, something that speaks to their character. Or when I saw you try really hard, I know you didn't get the grade you wanted, but boy, you studied really hard this week. Speak those encouraging truths into them. And that begins to create this context of love. So before we can ever talk about all these limits, there has to be this, this foundation. And God created this environment in the Garden of Eden where they would spend time together. And in this context, it really established that relationship. Because here's the thing. What we know is once as parents, we start setting boundaries. Kids don't like them. They push back on them. And all of a sudden, you become a mean parent. I mean, I remember times, and, and I don't even like verbalizing this, but I, would, I remember a time or two where I said to my dad, I hate you. I'm embarrassed by that. I, I I hurt when I think that I said that to my dad. And at the time, I was just angry, you know. He made me do something or do a chore or didn't let me do something. And I felt that. And and now when I think about my kids saying to me, that to me, ouch, wow, that must hurt. But one thing I didn't question, while maybe I felt that angry, one thing I knew is my parents, I never questioned their love for me. And see, that's the thing. You can push firm limits. You can be strong, but... If you don't have a foundation of love, you're going to destroy the children. But if it's built in this context, that's that's powerful. That's a very powerful thing. So God creates this context, this environment in which love is um, flourishing and they just have this relationship. He's spending time um, with his children. But then um, it goes a little further. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, 16, and 17. Genesis Genesis 2, 15, 16, and 17. Make sure I got the right reference here. Oh, yeah, Genesis 2. There we go. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and care for it. But the Lord gave him this warning. You may freely eat any fruit in the garden except fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you will surely die. So here we have this wonderful environment, freedom to live and enjoy life and everything. But what did God do? He created a limit. He created a boundary, a verbal boundary that had some very specific consequences. You can do all of this stuff and have all of it this, but there's one thing that you cannot have. And the reason, I'm not telling you the reason you cannot have it right now, but I'm going to tell you what happens. If you eat of this fruit, surely you will die. There is a consequence directly associated with this limit. And this, again, is true of us as parents. We see it as kids get a little older, as again, as they even start tumbling and crawling and walking and bike riding and driving cars you know as their mobility continues to expand out we start saying there's got to be some limits that we need to set and here's the thing as parents what 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 how you need to view limits setting limits boundaries rules is a way for you to create like a mini world for your kids you're creating a kind of a test world for them And this test world continues to expand as they grow older or as they earn the right to have a larger expanded boundary. But you're creating a world for them where they can figure stuff out without the devastating consequences that they could experience in the real world. It's almost like, again, a test world, a mini world. Now there's a great book that a lot of these principles were, and I quote some things from this book. It's called Boundaries with Kids. Highly, highly recommend this book to you. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. Cloud and Townsend, Boundaries with Kids. And one of the things they say in this book, it says, um, a lot of us don't have a problem child, but we have a problem context. Every problem child generally has a problem context. Now, we like to think our children are unique and are different, and you don't understand my child, and my child is different than everybody else is true. They're different at different levels, and maybe, you know, if they're dealing with sort of maybe some developmental issues or psychological issues, you know, that's that, that's true. Um, but in general, again, kids with healthy limits, they say don't grow out of thin air. So if you've got a problem, kid it's probably because they're growing up in a problem context. And what we don't like to hear as parents is, you know who, the pro- who creates the problem context? We do. It's our home. The context that kids grow up in is our home. And if they're a problem kid at school, it's probably likely there's a problem context at home. Very, very likely. If a kid is rude and disrespectful of teachers and other students at school or here, let me just ask you this. Would you guess that this kid is kind and respectful of his parents and siblings at home? No, right? Well, interactive here. That's kind of obvious, right? Kids only act like they do because the context they are in allows it. And this is hard because we want to blame the kids. Man, they just don't listen. Now, granted, if you're a teacher or you're a, you know, you teach in, in our kids' ministry, or I've been a youth pastor, and, and I get kids that are raised in all different kinds of contexts. Um, one thing that I have to do and, and did as a youth pastor too is now you're in a new context. You're in my world. <laughs> When, you're a youth, when I'm a youth leader and you come to, to youth when I did that for those years, now this is my context. And in this context, there's, there, are, there are rules, there are consequences, there are disciplines, there are rewards, there's a way that's appropriate for behaving. When kids are on my soccer team, that's a context. When they come in on that first practice, they all have their own little context. But now they know, coach is here, coach demands attention, no goofing off, and we're going to have a lot of fun, but we're also going to take it serious. You create the context. And so stop blaming the children, but begin to look at your own context and go, what am I doing that allows certain behaviors? If your kid is acting out and being crazy, what are you doing that's allowing that? And that you know, we can't get into all the psychology of all these different things and how that happens, but remember, look at your context and what is happening. Parents create that, the context good and bad. And here's the thing, what kids get away with at home only gets multiplied out in the real world. Home, right, they test the grounds there, but boy, when parents aren't around or some of those other pieces there, it gets multiplied. So if you have a picky eater at home, they're going to be even more picky when the parents aren't around. So teach them to like stuff. Teach them to try stuff. If they're careless with their own toys or things at home, they're going to be reckless with other things. If they don't listen to your no at home, you'll have no control of them in public. Does your word mean anything? Does your context mean anything? I was at McDonald's one time, and I remember uh, the, the McDonald's of the play area, and a mom went in, and the kid was playing, and she was calling him over because it was their time to order. And then she just kept saying, like, if you don't come over here, and she kept raising the threat, right? You know, like, you get over here right now, or I'm going to be mad at you. Or you don't get over here now, I'm, you know, you're not going to get a dessert. If you don't come over here now, we're going to go home. I mean, if you don't get here now, you're going to get a spank, you're going to get trouble. I mean, she kept listening. Elevating these consequences and the kid never came. Finally it was time, the kid comes over and she said, Okay, what do you want? And she ordered the food and went on playing. And I thought, parent has no, their word has no authority in this kid's life. And this kid is learning that I just have to resist this boundary enough and I'm going to get away with what I, with what I want. And it's harming that kid because real life doesn't work that way. And so it gets multiplied in the real world. These are the kids that are on my soccer team that have a hard time listening to the authority of a coach. That don't listen to their teacher, that are disrespectful. It happens with your context at home. So we must create a loving world where kids get a taste of what's to come before they're in an unforgiving world. See, we can we can give them enough pain that doesn't wound them, but lets them know and learn the lessons before it's going to become detrimental later on in life but parents struggle with setting limits and we, we really have to deal with our own issues on this kind of stuff I don't want my kid not to like me I don't want my kid to think I'm not cool I remember not getting to do those things when I was a kid and so I want them to not you know to do those things I don't like to see my kids sad I can't stand to see them crying I don't want them to not be with their friends you're afraid as a parent You have to deal with your own insecurities and your own issue. Embrace your role as parent and authority figure. You're not to be their friend. You can be friendly with them. You can have friendship kinds of relationships with them. But you are their parent. And this isn't about you. This is about what's best for them. Now, there was a study done, right, about um, children and a playground that has had a fence and what impact a fence has if you take it away. And so what they did, they did this study with preschoolers, and they asked a preschool teacher to take the kids out and play at a new playground. And the first time, the teacher was to take them to a playground that had a, had a fence around it like a lot of playgrounds do. And so the, 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 the um, teacher got out to the park, you know, let the kids go, and the kids began to run and play and explore. They were on the monkey bars, on the playground, around the yard, and they were just seemed to really be enjoying themselves. Same teacher takes these same kids to an, another park, and this park doesn't have a fence. And they were surprised at the results of what they saw with preschoolers was when they let that, the kids go, they actually wanted to stay closer, and some of them clung on to the preschool teacher. And they actually stayed closer, and the irony was there's no fence. Wouldn't they just go? Now, some of you going, my kid will just take off. Now, granted, again, kids are all a little different and eventually, probably But what they were looking at was the initial impact of having a fence, and they saw that kids that went into a playground that didn't have a fence felt actually insecure when they didn't know where the boundary was. And so obviously there's lots of lessons to be learned here, but one of them is limits provide security and love. They actually provide an internal, not only just an external, but also an internal security and love. And a lack of boundaries is sensed by kids as a lack of love. And now they may not express that. Again, a teenager thinks, you know, your boundaries are actually, you don't love us, you don't trust me. But what it really truly is, is you love me. And and when, when teenagers, even later on, feel like parents don't care, they let me do whatever I want, it's actually a sense that they're not invested in this. Limits aren't a condition of our love, but an affirmation of our love. I'm going to repeat that again, because I think you need to write this down. Limits aren't a condition of our love, but an affirmation of our love. See, we sometimes think, and this is where strict parents can sometimes get it wrong if they have the wrong mindset, is going, if you do these things right, I will love you. This is how many people view faith. This is how many people view God, right? If I follow the Ten Commandments, if I don't do anything wrong, if I live a perfect life, if I don't sin, then God will love me. I can't come to church, I can't come to God, because because I've, I've, I've sinned, and I've messed up these things. And so we think, The Ten Commandments, or what Scripture teaches, is a condition of God's love. The opposite is true. Limits, rules, boundaries are an affirmation of our love. The very act of setting a limit is an act of love. You're saying, because I love you, because I care, I am setting this boundary. Having no curfew, or let's say a 1 a.m. curfew for a (laughs) 15-year-old, puts kids in harm's way. And it's going to cause them to wrestle with choices that they're not prepared to make. And that they're not prepared to choose wisely on. And there is no security or love in that. You need to remember this phrase. Nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing good. I, there's never been anything beneficial that a teenager or, or, or older can't live without that happens after midnight that their life would be so deprived of if they didn't stay out till after midnight. Now, does it you know, as a, as a teenager, is a bad one, I remember, I think my curfew was like 11.30 a little bit later on. and I was always one of the first sometimes that had to leave. I hated that. But you know what? Nothing good happens after midnight. But I trust my kid, whatever, you know. But are you going to put him in harm's way? You heard about that college student that was just, uh, you know, abducted and likely killed because she got drunk and wandered off and there were no friends around her and You put your children in in, in harm's way, and you want to protect them. Limits provide security and love. See, we always see limits as being this negative thing, and that's why many of us resist them. Another thing, limits create safe space to develop. Safe space to develop. I kind of said this earlier, but we want to give them enough space to get hurt, but not enough to get damaged. See, this is where it becomes suffocating as a parent if you're so strict and you don't ever let them get hurt. Bumps and scrapes and bruises are a good thing. They learn, they teach themselves through some of those experiences. But we don't want to mortally wound them or fatally damage them, right, for their, for their future. And so putting a fence around a playground or your backyard and saying, go and play, they may fall out of a tree and break a wrist. They may hit their head on a rock and whatever, stub their toe. But they're not going to run out into a street and get hit by a car. And so you're beginning to teach them, again, pain and consequences and freedom, but they have freedom to explore. It's a safe space to develop. And so they learn through some of those actions. Limits actually provide freedom. Because now you tell the kid you don't have to worry about making all these different choices. Here's the limit out here, and you have freedom within this limit to make choices. So you might say to your kid, for example, you might say, um, it's very important to us that you play on a team sport. If you're physically able to, I want you to play on a team sport, even if it's just for one season, because I want you to know what it's like to be on a team and to, to be physically active. And that's, that's, that's something what we want you to do. But here's the thing. You can pick which sport you want. You have a choice. But I don't want to be a parent that forces my kid to do a sport against her will or his will. Well, you can be that parent. That's okay. But maybe you have other reasons. But for me, or if that's your value system, you would say that, but give them a chance to, to express themselves. You provide the limit. You let them make The choice. Limits teach that I am always under authority. Limits teach that I am always under authority. Do you realize that we are always under authority? That's why we said, like, when you think you're an adult, you know, as a kid, you think, man, I can do anything I want. We are always under authority. It doesn't matter if you're at school, if you're driving a car, you know, if you're part of the, if we have a government system with with, uh, courts and judges, we're under authority. If you're in the home, if you're uh, if you're the president of a company, you're under a, a board. You're always under authority in some way. We need to teach kids you're always under authority. You're accountable to someone all the time. And scripture is like this too. You can find so much freedom when you stop wrestling and stop pushing against God's authority in, in our lives. And we start saying, God, I surrender to this, and I understand that I can find freedom in life when I surrender to your authority. And so limits begin to teach that. Now, God, um, in this context of, of 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 Genesis, where He has this you know, he, he says, "Here's the limit." He doesn't just say, "Here's the limit; don't eat of this tree." He tells them what the consequence is. If you do this, then this will happen. Here's the line: if you cross it, this will happen. Crossing limits equals pain. Again, this is a life lesson. Crossing limits equals pain. There's some consequences. If you take the car without asking permission, no driving for a month. Every minute you are out past your curfew, your curfew shortens by 30 minutes. I don't know. (laughs) You don't pick up those toys before bedtime, they go on vacation for a month. You whine, the automatic answer is no. You begin to create a context where kids are learning there are consequences with that. Next week we're going to talk a lot more about consequences and, and freedom and responsibility. So we'll get into that a little bit more. But then, so here, so, so God sets this context, and then how do, how do, um, Adam and Eve respond to this? In Genesis chapter 3, it goes like this. I want to read to you some of the story here. Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord God had made. Really? He asked the woman. Did God really say you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. She understood. Right? She knew what the limit was. She knew what the consequence was. You won't die, the, herp, the, the serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You'll become just like God, knowing everything both good and evil. The woman was convinced the fruit looked so fresh and delicious, and it would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. Then he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. Toward evening, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, where are you? He replied, I heard you, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked him. Have you eaten the fruit I commanded you not to eat? Yes, Adam admitted. But it was the woman you gave me who brought me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, how could you do such a thing? The serpent tricked me, she replied. That is why I ate it. And then it goes on a little more, and then at the end of this it says, So the Lord God banished Adam and his wife from the Garden of Eden. And he stationed angels before the entrance and didn't allow them back in. So a couple things we see here. If you kind of read this through the lens of God being a parent, and these are his two kids, right? Don't see them as adults and picture that, right? What happened? You know, they, children's job. Here's the thing we need to learn. that a children, A child's job is to push the boundaries. If we just understand that, if we just kind of recognize that's a fact, I think it's, we're going we're to be many steps along the way here. I, I forget that as a parent. I think I made the boundary. Why are they crossing it? It's their job to push the boundaries. That's part of the growth. That's part of, that's part of the learning. And again, if we're creating a boundary that's a place where they may get hurt but not fatally wounded, there's going to be learning, that, that consequence. And so what happens here in the story? Adam and Eve, right? There's temptation. Of course, you know, Satan is involved in this and is making them question what God said, and kids will question the boundaries. And it looks so tempting, and it looks so good. Again, that marble looks so good for that toddler. But it's so dangerous. And so we see how they're reacting. And, and then, of course, then it comes to, right, you find out as a parent, like God, you know, found out, Hey, something's smelling fishy here, right? You know, as a parent, you just know. You can just tell. It got really quiet in the house. The kids aren't acting the way they normally do, or they're hiding somewhere. They hide. It's a natural reaction to, to disobedience. We don't want to be found out. And then they get found out, and what do they do? They blame. <laughs> My sister did it, right? No, she did it. He told me to do it. Or the you know, devil made me do it, whatever. And so this is part, of what we see here, but what we see is God follows through on his consequences, and we learn very early on God's word can be trusted. God's word means business. God has authority. And, and, and that's so important. So a kid's job is to test the boundary. But a parent's job is to affirm that the boundary is real. If we don't hold firm, our word means nothing. So be careful what kind of boundaries you set and what kind of consequences you set. Are they ones that you can follow through? Boys, parents, we can go, we can get out there and just throw these major consequences out there, and then later we're not able to pull them through, or or we realize that you know they they're going to affect us, and we don't really want to do that, right? If you if you threaten kids and tell them you don't have TV privilege for the next week, you're going, oh man, what do I do? How do I entertain them now for some of that time, right? That's a consequence back on you. So think through what you're going to say, and if you do, follow through on it, and keep keep your word on that. Part of the heat of parenting, Cloud and Townsend say, is tolerating and enduring your child's hatred of your boundaries. Can you tolerate it? They're going to hate your boundaries, and sometimes they'll even blur your boundaries with you. Can you tolerate that? And here's the thing, the trick to parenting, I love this, one of my favorite lines out of this book, the trick to parenting, hold on to your limit one more time than your children hold on to their demands. That's all you need one more time. Hold on to your limit one more time than your children hold on to their demands. I remember, this is a really silly little example, but I remember, I think it was our our youngest daughter. She was coming out of the bathroom downstairs, washed her hands, went to the bathroom, washed her hands, had the light on, and she didn't turn the light off. And so I said, um, Anaya, go turn the light off. You left the light on. I can't reach it. Well, we knew that was a lie because she could reach it. We knew she had the stool in there. She could reach it. And I said, go in there and turn it off. And it became this little showdown. She refused to do it. I said, you get back in there. And it was one of those things where we've learned with our kids, even up to the age that they are now, there are seasons where things go well, and then there's an issue that comes up, and, and we realize this is where the battle is going to be fought right here about breaking their will. And you go, that sounds terrible, breaking their will or their character. Not their character, breaking breaking their will and and, and, and having them submit. And, and you never know where it's going to surface. It could be a completely stupid little issue, but it's a battle line that's being drawn. I remember, I'm going to hold on. I, I, I asked her to do something. I am not wavering. On. I'm not going to oh, go in there and turn the light off and be done. I knew there, there was something else going on here. So we just kept going, and I said, you're not leaving that bathroom until that light is off. Do you think there was wailing? Do you think there was crying? And she was stubborn. She wasn't going to budge. She wasn't going to turn that light off. We, I think we had lunch. We ate lunch right by the bathroom near where that was. She was in the bathroom. I wasn't. She wasn't going to have lunch. And then eventually, you know what? She fell asleep in the bathroom. She did. She took her whole nap in the bathroom, and we weren't letting her out. And you kind of go, it parent apparent cruelty. I don't know. But um, eventually, all of a sudden, without much fanfare, I heard the little click, light turned off, and she came out. And she was like a completely different person. There was something in that moment where just holding on to that demand one more time. Some of you, right, even with kids and bedtime routines, and and they're sleeping in your bed because, you know, they won't stay in their room. They won't stop crying. You've got to continue over and over. I know there were times in our life where we just said with with the kids, like, this is going to be a long night. Or this evening, I'm going to lose this whole evening because I'm going to put them to bed 15 to 20 times. Every time they got out, we lovingly picked them back up, put them back in, shut the door, put them back in. Eventually, we did turn the lock around with the lock on the outside, but still, you know, the point was made. We're, this is not negotiable. You're not sick. You're not hurt. You're not, you know, you're not having a nightmare. This is just a, a line you're drawing. And you know what? We have children now that we can put to bed pretty easily. That go up there. That's fine. It works. But you're not willing because you can't tolerate your kid crying. You can't tolerate her that says, Mommy, but I love you. I love you too, but you're going to sleep in your own bed. Right? I mean, that's 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 what this boils down to. These limits are going to be tested. Our job is to hold on to them one more time. So what does this all have to do with even our faith and everything? God is trying to shape something in us. What's interesting about limits is that external limits become internalized and become values for our children as they grow up. And really what we want is we want to shape their heart. We want to shape their character and faith is what we talked about before. And one way we're going to help them do that is first externally until those things become internal realities. And that setting limits is really the loving thing. And that's what God wants to do with us. He's saying there's a lot of pain in your life if you live apart from the way that I have laid out for you. I want the best for you, life to the fullest. But more than anything, I don't want you to be robots that just follow all the do's and don'ts. I want your heart is what God says to us. And when he has our heart, our faith, our character, it makes us ready for anything in this world. And that's how he's shaping us, and that's how he's molding us. And I wonder if this morning if there's some here who've just been fighting God for a long time. I don't want to put up with the rules. I don't, I feel like God's, you know, wanting to to just suppress my life. There's a freedom that comes from acknowledging God's authority. And realizing that he allows us to live our life freely. But there are consequences and things that some of us have to learn the hard way. But we do learn. But ultimately God is after our heart. And as parents, isn't that what we want from our kids? We don't just want them to be robots. We want them to be in relationship with us for many, many years. We want to see their character and their faith develop. And so we need to embrace that role. Creating a loving foundation. And setting limits that are an affirmation of our love for them. Uh, and not a condition of their love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the wisdom in which you parent us. And God, that your word can be relied upon. And God, that we never have to question your unconditional love for us, no matter what. You love us. You want the best for us. Help us as parents that are here this morning to just love our kids well to spend time with them, to engage with them, and just to to shower them with love and put them in an environment that is unquestionably loving. But God, help us to also make the hard decisions to create these kind of boundaries that allow them to develop in character over the years that they are in our care. We love you, Lord, and we just thank you again for the wisdom of your word and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.